Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Hey, I'm Jeff Cohen. Everything you hear on WNPR, from local news and talk shows to the national programs you love, is made possible because of listener support. You make it happen. You give the radio its signal, the computer its stream, the smartphone its podcast. You make it so we can reach you wherever you are. We love that you listen, but we also need your dollars. Go to WNPR.org and click on Donate in the upper right-hand corner. Thanks for helping out. Come on, faster, you stupid machine. Kion, what are you doing? I'm having this celebrity tweet fight with Piers Morgan, but he doesn't want to use Twitter, so we're faxing. So this is his fax to you? You pathetic loser. I'd punch your face, but it would be like hitting an anemic chihuahua. Oh, no, I think this one is from Rob Kardashian to John Dankosky. There's something else coming in. That is... Uh, photo of Kaiser Sose. No, pictures take even longer. How long have you been doing this? Well, it took me 20 minutes just to call Pierce Morgan a racist, pot-bellied pig. I'm checking out your basket. It, it looks like you faxed, you're sick in the head, I hope you get some help before you wreck this country, to Bob Maxson, the nice weather guy? No, that was to Wolf Blitzer. The confirmation slip says Bob Maxson. I hate faxed Bob Maxson? How could that happen? Well, on Twitter, you can actually see little pictures of the people you're flaming. I'm just going to have to stand by this machine for the rest of the day until I get all this stuff straightened out. By the way, it looks like Mark Marin is Kaiser Sose. I knew it. While I'm faxing, you can listen to the nose about, I don't know, how they all have jetpacks while I'm stuck at the stupid fax machine. And now his ten concerts list is all Gregorian chants. Colin McEnroe. I was at the original ones of those Gregorian chants, too. They were great. I don't, I don't even get what that whole meme is about, but we're going to find out today. Uh, joining us for the news are a scholar of modern literature and, of course, uh, entertainment impresario in the bright lights of Collinsville, Rebecca Castellani. Uh, Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, dancer, uh, founder, director, choreographer of Kinetic... I'd be here all day, but of Kinetic <laughs> Dance. Uh, Irene Papoulis, who keeps things really clear and simple and straightforward. She teaches. She's a professor at Trinity College. We don't have to worry about all this other stuff. Uh, although she's the inventor of the Papoulian through line, which we actually use on the nose. Um, so she actually has a concept named after her. That's very impressive. Um, all right. So we're going to begin by talking. Well, actually, let me tell you uh, later in the show, we are going to talk about a celebrity dispute, which rather than being resolved on Twitter, was uh, there was an attempt made to resolve it through the miracle of fax machines. Uh, and so we'll tell you about that uh, a little bit later. Uh, we'll also tell you about an especially annoying to many people uh, meme going around on Facebook that has to do with uh, ten con nine concerts you've watched and one you haven't. Or what, we'll explain this to you too. So not that you need that explained <laughs> to you. Apparently, absolutely everybody has been tortured with this thing. So, But we're going to begin with 13 Reasons Why. It's also very much talked about right now. This is a Netflix series. It's uh, produced by Selena Gomez, who's 
roughly 12, uh, <laughs> but apparently is now producing things. And so this is the story uh, of a, a young woman who, having committed suicide, a, t- a teenager, a high school student who having committed suicide, uh, kind of from the grave continues to uh, torment uh, and educate and attempt to seek justice from all kinds of people that she dealt with while alive. I don't know if that's – is that a good description of it? I don't yeah. know. Is it a reasonable well, – She does it via the cassette tapes yes, too. Yes, that's so very important. She records 13 cassette tapes each directed towards a specific person who wronged her. So each person gets their own tape, which is where the – Side of a tape. Yes, a side of your tape. Yep. Welcome to your tape. That whole meme, if you've been seeing that floating around, that's where that came from. I've, I, I have problems even remembering the title of this because I, I, I keep wanting to start at 13 ways of, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then I realize it's not a Wallace Stevens poem. All right. So, I mean, I guess maybe the first thing we should do is address the controversy about this and then maybe we can get into the aesthetics of it in a, in a secondary way. So the controversy has to do with the fact that this does – attempt to kind of have it both ways. Um, this is uh, very much about the, the tragedy of a young woman who takes her own life. Um, but she's in, the, she's in the story very much through a series of flashbacks, but almost, you know, uh, almost Hamlet ghost kind of uh, presence uh, constantly kind of nudging the action along. And, and the other thing, Carolyn, that I, that I think adds intentionally to the confusion is I don't think there's ever been a series that uses jump cuts quite as ruthlessly and relentlessly as this thing does. You're staring at a frame and suddenly pop. You're in a slightly different frame. The lighting hasn't changed very much, you know, and, and but in fact, either you're either pre-suicide or post-suicide. Uh, as right. And to- one of the ways that I think they've cleverly marked that in case you're completely lost is that Clay, the lead character, has the cut on his forehead. Right. Yeah. So you're aware of present time. Uh, I realized they had to do that because otherwise it would have just been a very confusing mess. So that does help you know whether you're post-suicide or pre-suicide. All right. Actually, let's hear a little clip from the series before we delve deeper into it. I believe what we're hearing here is one of those self-same cassettes. Here we go. Hey, it's Hannah. Hannah Baker. Don't adjust your whatever device you're hearing this on. It's me, live and in stereo. No return engagements, no encore, and this time, absolutely no requests. Get a snack, settle in, because I'm about to tell you the story of my life. More specifically, why my life ended. And if you're listening to this tape, you're one of the reasons why. I'm not saying which tape brings you into the story, but fear not, if you receive this lovely little box, your name will pop up. I promise. Anyway, the rules here are pretty simple. There are only two. She doesn't. Jesus. Sorry. What have we said about helicopter parenting, Mom? I didn't mean to scare you. You were just lost in that. What is that you're listening to? It's, uh, uh, it's nothing. It's for history class. Cassettes are history now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course they are. All right. So um, that's what it sounds like. We can't show you what it looks like. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the controversy. Irene, the controversy, I think, is that um, that there might First of all, the teenagers are, are volatile, mercurial people in real life. Their impulse control often isn't very good. Their ability to see around corners into the future isn't very good. And that this in particular might in some way make them think that they could take their own lives and yet 
participate in their own realities in important ways. I don't know. What do you make of that? I mean, let's let's posit that we're not all clinicians or anything like that. No, not at all. But um, I, I actually uh, probably I sort of feel like an outlier in the sense that I don't think that it's any more. Uh, I've only seen half of it, but I feel like it's not as as dangerous as people are afraid it is because it seems very. First of all, at least from what I've watched, it's it's it's. It makes you it makes you want her to live, you know. It, it doesn't glorify it in any way, from what I've seen. And Rebecca seems to be agreeing, and she um, saw the whole thing. So yeah, it, you know. So it's interesting to think about: is the subject itself so volatile that people shouldn't even watch films about it at all? Or you know, like if if a hero that you like ends up killing herself, does that mean that it's dangerous for students to think about it? You know, I mean, I think. You know, high school students know about a lot of things, uh, that, and so I don't, I don't see this movie as as being dangerous in that way. But I know a lot of people do. Yeah, I don't know. This is sort of uh, to me, um, and Rebecca, you've seen this thing all the way through. Uh, it may twist and turn in in ways that those of us who are just halfway in can't quite understand. But I, some of this to me is a, the myth of culture, right? I, there's lots of movies that, I, that I've seen over the years. I mean, John Cusack had a movie called Better Off Dead in which all the way through he was talking about uh, killing himself. There was The Virgin Suicides, Heathers. I could name easily without even trying six or seven other ones that uh, involve this kind of thing. And, and maybe it's dealt with a little bit differently in this. But I wonder if it's more that we live in an age where people think of things triggering other things. Definitely. I mean, the word trigger wasn't really in our cultural vernacular until just really last year, I think. Uh, for me, I think that this show, compared to the other ones you're talking about, I, you know, I, I'm very attracted in a really perverse way to dark television shows. So when I saw this, I'm like, oh, this is dark. right? My other favorite show is The Leftovers. Like, I really like dark, bleak television shows. I find it cathartic. And this show had... At first, that, I was like, okay, I, I can see what they're doing. And by the end, it had to achieved for me not so much a level of catharsis but a level of horror is probably the most accurate word as, as to the action of suicide because unlike a lot of other suicide movies I've seen that cut away from the act itself mm -hmm. this show the camera does not move from her face for five minutes during her act of suicide and it is one of the hardest most difficult things I've ever had to watch on television and it does not feel to me at all like other portrayals of suicide I've seen on television because it really confronted the, the physical agony and the emotional agony head on in a way that I've never seen before. So do I think it glorifies suicide? No, I think the suicide itself and the way it's portrayed was horrific. It doesn't look sexy or romantic or appealing to me at all. I think the act of the tapes and making a suicide note that's somewhat interactive and you know, continues to live past her. That, to me, I could see why, you know, professionals are a little more worried about that act of trying to calling out all the people that wronged you, that that could be a little attractive to a 16-year-old that's feeling really alone versus, you know, a 26-year-old watching it knowing that life goes on. Yeah, and also the idea that it's their fault somehow yes, as opposed yes. to some internal thing with her, you know. Right. So she was just like a lovely, open, cheerful young yes. woman, and then it was all their fault. Well, that, I think the ultimate message a little bit bothered me in the sense that the, they're trying to say be nice to people, do better, be better, as opposed to saying this is a young girl that was failed by a system and it's not necessarily on the world to, to be better because the world is a bad place. There are still bullies when you're an adult. It's how we help somebody who's struggling with Absolutely. these feelings. Yes. I think one of the things that struck me, it, it's around episode three or four on the tape, she talks about the butterfly effect, yeah. which is yep. that if a butterfly 
ha- flaps its wings in a certain yep. place at a certain time, it can you know cause this windstorm miles away. And I think that that's the danger of what this show does with how it deals with suicide and how you know her suicide. She left these tapes, this like epic suicide yeah. note that is I- interactive in some ways because it's like she left this butterfly effect, mm-hmm. and that for kids who are struggling. I think that part of the idea is that they want that revenge. They would want other people to feel so deeply and to have this effect. And I think the show makes it appear that this would be your resolution in some way. I totally agree with you, but the irony is she's not there to get any of that. Exactly. She's dead. Exactly. But like it makes you want her to get it in real life. You you, know, it sort of makes you you do that's why the show's so frustrating. You want her to live just so the whole show. You're like, maybe she's not dead. Maybe this is just, you know, an exercise and she's run away and she's you know and you know from the first opening moment that she's dead. She is not alive. That is established. And yet the the brilliance of it is that the whole time you're like, come on guys, like you can save her. She's right there. Help her. You know, I want to shift over a little bit to the aesthetics of it in a second, although I do want to say, I mean, I think watching things with other people is really important. I know you. you I watched this with a 15 year old boy. He's a family friend, a good friend of mine. And so he's close to the age of the characters of these kids. And we didn't I didn't watch all of it with him. We watched part of it. And it was fascinating to see through his his eyes. And this is a kid who had been bullied, who has who has gone through some of that. you know, I was relieved that his his takeaway was, well, I don't understand why she would kill kill herself, and and just how he saw the different characters and how he related to who they are in his high school existence and everything. Um, but I do, I think, having watched this with a fifteen year old, I think if you are a parent and your kid is going to watch this, I think make sure that it is something that you are going to have a dialogue about because I know he had a lot of questions and concerns, and he found it scary yeah. to be honest. Mm. I think if this was yeah. watched as part of like a high school health class, a mental health class, and there was class discussion following the episodes, I think it could be a really effective tool. I think if it's a sixteen year old who's going through some depressive feelings and is being bullied, watching it alone in their room and binge watching it, I think it could be really dangerous. I Absolutely. Do. So uh, when my son was very young. Uh, he was, uh, his best friend was the girl next door, whose name was Natalie. Uh, and they did everything together. And probably at too young an age, I can't exactly pin it down, but like Natalie might have been 10, he might have been nine. Um, I let them watch the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet. Um, <laughs> and of course, Romeo and Juliet, we know how Romeo and Juliet yep. ends. And so my son, who's like, um, kind of has a little bit of a tendency to uh, talk in a very kind of pressured way when he gets nervous or upset about something. He's watching the ending unfold. He goes, I can't believe that. I can't believe this is happening. I mean, w- would you just kill yourself because somebody else was dead? I would never kill myself because somebody else was dead. You know, he, well, you, you can't do that. You don't want to kill yourself just because another person's dead. And Natalie said, but they died together. <laughs> um, and I thought, I hope that's not sort of a gender thing, you know. But I mean, it, it is... The truth is we do, to a certain degree, romanticize the tragic aspects of suicide. I mean, Romeo and Juliet does that, right? It's it's a horrible story in which you mourn the senseless loss uh, of life of these two impulsive uh, teenagers. But, I mean, it's all couched in the most elaborate and romantic language that we've ever heard. It's, it's, it's Shakespeare. So, I mean, there is a little bit of that that just sort of, you know, we, we, it didn't start with Netflix, I guess is what I'm saying. We do have a couple of people calling in who, who do have some clinical background and some clinical knowledge. We're going to quickly uh, talk to uh, Dr. Laura Saunders, I think it is, believe, I, I believe it is. Uh, yes. Yeah, well, welcome to our conversation. Thank you. Um, so I just I want to kind of reiterate what others are saying around 
the idea of romanticizing and really how dangerous that is, that it's the vulnerable ones that we're most concerned about, kids who've had a lot of negative life experiences or perhaps even considered suicide at one point because it becomes very glorified and romanticized. Um, in the course of the show, what I mean, what they're really showing, and, and I, we all know that she's passed, but it makes it look like she's around because mm-hmm. she's so present. And I think that just fuels the myth that even when we're gone, we're still here. Um, and so I think there's a lot of things, especially for vulnerable kids, that are potentially very dangerous about the show. And I think adults do need to be actively aware and involved. For the most part, you know, there's a, a thread of treatment is not very helpful or adult, when you tell adults there's problems, they're not very helpful. And I think that's not necessarily the case either. Right. So it's really trying to combat some of the myths that are a big part of this show. One thing that we should say, although there even, there's even already talk of a second season, is, I mean, this show is not going away. It's incredibly popular. Um, you know, it's very, very popular, and it's probably very, very popular with the kinds of people that, in fact, uh, Dr. Uh, Laura Saunders is concerned about. But, I mean, that just can't be changed, right? I mean, it's just there. You know, they, they, people are consuming this thing. Um, I do want to just quickly – well, I, actually, we've got one more call related to this. Let me just quickly do that. I don't want to not talk about the aesthetics of this thing. But um, so, uh, yeah, we have, I think, Gillian Anderson from the uh, Jordan Porco Foundation. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, hi. Thank hi. you. Good afternoon. Yes, you are. It's Gillian Anderson, and um, I'm the development director at the Jordan Porco Foundation, and um, we are a suicide prevention organization, and um, we promote mental health to teens and young adults, and have you know some really great programs that are on college campuses across the country, and also high schools. And I'm agreeing with a lot that you're saying. You know, and, on one hand, there's a lot of younger. Um, teens and young adults that are so attracted to the show because it is touching on, I think, subjects that aren't talked about all the time, like sexual assault and bullying. But I don't, again, personally, I'm not a professional, but I do not uh, think that they're, they're doing it properly. And, and also on the same level with some of these younger um, kids, you know, brain function doesn't really, you know, add up until you're about 25 years old. They don't have the capacity for some of these things. And it is triggering some attempt survivors. So many are choosing not to watch the show just for that reason. Yeah, probably you know, probably uh, a good idea. Well, listen, uh, thank you very much for your call, too. I just I don't want us to not – I mean, we can get, you know – uh, we can drown in all of that kind of stuff in there. I, we have just a limited amount of time left. You know, um, Rebecca, you obviously were very captivated by this um, series. And I so far have not been. I mean, I, in fact, I wouldn't keep watching it were it not for all the buzz about it. And I feel as though I've seen this before. I feel like it, it is a lot of John Hughes movies yeah. that I've seen. And I, I, I recognize almost every type that I'm seeing. Yeah, the and, boy in, looks like a young Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> like from he night, does. Right? Wow. That's so, all I kept thinking. So tell me where it, what, how it got you and, and how it transcends um, the genre of misunderstood high school students? It's a great question. I don't know how articulate I can answer this because um, it does lag in the middle and I found myself getting kind of fed up with the with the trope after a while, especially some of the episodes that don't feel as important or significant. There's a couple, you know, instances where I'm like, really, girl? Like, this is a nothing issue. Like, this poor <laughs> person does not need a whole tape for this. Um, a passing note, like, hey, don't be a jerk would have been enough. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, it was a combination. Again, I, I don't know what this tells about my psychology, but like the sick desire to see it through and see how they handled it. And by the time I got to it, it was a couple weeks after it had been released. So I had been reading all these articles saying, you know, it does 
it, it, there's been this controversy as to whether it's too graphic. So that was the main thing that kept me. I did. I found the the main actor, the the young man who plays Clay. I found him very compelling as mm-hmm. a protagonist. I think that they made a great choice having him be the person that everyone else has seen through. I thought the acting across the board was pretty solid. I really loved Kate Walsh's performance. Mm-hmm. She was stunning. Um, but I agree. I mean, it's it's a teen show. It definitely has elements that appeal, you know, it's got a soundtrack right at the OC. Uh, it's good to write email poems too, but that's about it. <laughs> so, you know, I think I think the content for me was what drove me through it aesthetically, you know, C, mm-hmm. C-. minus. Right. So, but you're starting to binge it too, right? Yeah, yeah. I started it uh, just yesterday, you know, true to Noah's form, like leave it to the last minute. <laughs> Um, and, and this one, I was just mad at myself for that because I need I, I need to see this through. Um, I actually really like the style. I'm not always a fan of the, you know, flashbacks, sort of this like timeline that jumps all over the place. Sometimes that just doesn't work yeah. for me because I have to work too much. Mm-hmm. But this kind of this actually felt seamless and, and, and logical. And I kind of was on board with what they were doing from the get go. Um, I think all of the acting performances are really really yeah. good. I think the kids in this, the young actors are spectacular. I'm very intrigued by the Tony character. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I that Irene, I want to just sort of mention something that I think Tony is the one who says and that I do think has some of the um, some of what is compelling about this. And it is and it's part of your Papulian through line too, I think, which is that I think Tony says something like you can never know what another person is thinking. Yeah. And and I do think that I mean, we spend we forget this. We spend so much time alone with our thoughts. The silences in our lives, in everybody's life, is just incredibly deep, right? And and there's just things that you think all the time that you just never share with anybody. It would be impossible to live that way. And I do think this series kind of gets at that a little bit. Yeah, I I agree. And I I yeah, I mean, I almost I don't I'm not really very interested in the suicide part of it. And mm-hmm. I yet I found I mean, my expectations were like almost zero for yeah. it. And I found that I really liked it. But I liked it because I thought the characters are interesting and the way yeah I mean the way that Clay you know unrequited love and you know the passion and the sort of like attempt to figure out like who is she I want to know who she is um and I was thinking like wow imagine she had just moved away and left those tapes like for me it would have been just as interesting you Mm -hmm. know and so and there would also be the possibility that they would get together and have a happy ending you know at the (laughs) end but um so I think there's it's that so that's the storyteller the the emotional storytelling and I mean as a parent I mean my my son is 21 now but the way that he interacts with his mother um is was so you know, it just made me cringe, of course, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. how clueless the parents were. And I think, but I thought that was really, re- you're like, what? Oh, no, I'm just doing my history homework. Like, okay, honey, we'll make sure you're, you know, yeah. you're here for dinner. Um, was, was sort of, it made me cringe. And as the, as the caller said, you know, obviously not all adults are like that. Yeah. And, but many are, many parents are that, re- that separated from kids. And I think maybe part of the appeal is uh, seeing that on the screen for kids who who feel don't feel as connected as they maybe should right. with adults. We have to go to a break right here. One thing I just do want to say about all, sort of the first part of our conversation is I think one thing that we as adults do is we tend to worry about culture that we can see. You know, we can see this and we can sort of see what it is. Our children spend a tremendous amount of time involved in, among other things, video games, which, like, I finally sat down and went through Grand Theft Auto with oh. my son. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. Well, yeah, but, th- like, th- I, that was he was playing Grand Theft Auto for a long time, and I didn't really... 
you know, I read things about it, but, you know, I mean, but that's the kind of thing that we don't do. I think people freak out about a series like this because it's a medium that adults can actually see and understand. Uh, and the good thing about it is, yeah, you can see it, you can understand it, and you can talk to your kid about it. All right, we've got to take a break. It does help us during this little pledge break. Are we doing a pledge break right now? We're doing a pledge break right now. Uh, if you would consider making a pledge to this station. Indeed, we are back. Uh, let me just uh, quickly say that uh, over the course of the show, it really would be great if you're thinking about pledging to the station. It's the last day of this two-week pledge campaign. You're probably tired of it. We're tired of it, too. We're tired of doing it. But uh, it's great if you do pledge during our hour. If there's things about this that you like, if you enjoy hearing uh, three great uh, wits and bon vivants, such as uh, Carolyn Payne uh, and Irene Papoulos and Rebecca Castellani, get together and talk about culture and things that are going on, uh, it'd be great if you could uh, consider pledging. It's 1-800-584-2788, but you know that. The other thing is um, our rebroadcast uh, of this will, as it has been for the last 100 days, uh, air at 9 p.m tonight. But then starting Monday, we're going to go back to 8 p.m. So I don't know if that's important to you. Uh, or like if you're if it's 9 o'clock right now and you're listening or 930, uh, you should understand we're moving back starting Monday. The 100 days are over. All right. So uh, we don't usually on this show talk exactly about this kind of thing. But I, I, I do think it's interesting. Uh, and uh, Carolyn is the person who surfaced this, as they say. Uh, and this is about uh, – I will try to tell the story unless you feel like that you, you can, can – You okay. can go ahead. Okay. So um, uh, in 2012, uh, very sad, uh, funeral of Whitney Houston. Uh, and at that time, apparently Dionne Warwick uh, characterized um, Aretha Franklin uh, as the godmother uh, of – uh, that first of all said that Aretha Franklin was there at the funeral and also that she was the godmother. Uh, then five years went by, five years, as uh, one person writing about this said, you know, that's like three Fast and Furious movies um, <laughs> have come out. And, and five years later, Aretha suddenly decided, I guess, or she'd been brooding about it the entire time. First of all, she's not Winnie Houston's godmother and she wasn't there. Um, and so she wrote a long denunciation of this five years later. And then faxed it to the Associated Press, which raises a whole series of questions, including how does Aretha Franklin know the fax number of the Associated <laughs> Press? And then nothing happened because nobody at the Associated Press ever checks the fax machine. Um, so then she had to – so I don't know. There's something about this that's sort of uh, this little strange – I mean, first of all, you have these two like legendary – they're like the original divas, mm. you know? And, and then the fact that like – so – then a fax, like a fax in this day and age. Like I wouldn't even know where to or how to send a fax, to be honest with you. Uh, and, and in the day and age of Twitter, where like literally every day somebody takes to Twitter to express their beef with someone or something. But she took the time to write a fax and send it rather than going to Twitter or any other medium. I mean, it, it's just mind-blowingly terrific. Uh, and it somehow just... It, it, it's it's just my favorite thing that's happened in weeks, I think. <laughs> yes. well, I'm being told that, first of all, your library may have a fax machine. FedEx and Kinko's, they tend to have fax. Where are we, where are we well, great. So everyone Aretha that I'm mad get, at, yes. expect a fax. I'm right. headed yeah, to Kinko's exactly. right after this. Um, but where should you expect your fax? Where will yeah. it come? So and you have a reaction to this? Oh, I mean, I, the Internet is currently obsessed with this whole idea of pettiness, and I think this just about sums it up. Talk about someone really just letting something simmer for a long period of time and then deciding, you know what, now is the time. I mean, 
I'm going to act the other on this. Element like, that, like, five she years sat later. on this for five years, <laughs> either stewing about it or forgetting about it until, you know, if she forgot about it, okay, fair enough, but why bring it up? But if she's been really just stewing this for it's like five she, years, I love that. She heard the word, like, godmother and was like, you know what? I've been, I Now's am not the time. The godmother. I am still mad about this. I have this. to take action on this. I am a strange <sighs> thing to really take offense. Exactly. It's not like she said, like, oh, that Aretha Franklin kind of overrated. Like, she was just, it was an innocent remark about her. You know, it was, it was wrong. She, it was she, inaccurate. She considers it to be libel. Yeah. So that's the it's other amazing. mystery. Like, but, so, I mean. I, yeah, I mean, first of all, I always feel um, a, a particular reaction lately when people make fun of old ladies. You know, like, oh, these, stu- <laughs> these two old ladies having a fight. You know, ha, ha, ha. It's so funny. Like, would look it be ter- look, as terrific? Would, would Carolyn have used the word terrific? It had been like, you know, 30-year-olds? Yeah, no, yeah it would have been terrific. Machine. If, like, <laughs> Lindsay Lohan had faxed Britney Spears, that would be even more terrific. That would really? actually. <laughs> okay, well, if she faxed it, yeah. I mean, because yeah. I could see... But I think there's something also so poignant about like because I saw in the, you know, a quote from Aretha that said we've never about Dion. We've never been because Dion claiming to be friends with her. And she said, we've never been friends. And I don't think that Dion has ever liked me, you know, and just that word. I don't think she liked me. Just I don't know. That just touched me like, you know, what she wants is to be liked, you know, and it's like I'm not liked. And so then that turns into simmering anger that she somehow felt she had to do something about five years later. Divas, they're just like us. Yeah, exactly. So, um, just so we'll have time for the other thing, I quickly want to say um, my reaction to this is I think fax machines might make a comeback. And the reason I think they might make a comeback is like everybody intercepts email uh, communications all the time now, right? I mean, they're incredibly vulnerable. But like, I bet the NSA has no plan for you faxing stuff. Yeah. You know, if I were Edward Snowden, I would just fax stuff all the time. You know, because <laughs> it's like who who would even know how to get a fax? You don't even know how to do a fax. I'm sure someone the people... should have told that to Hillary Clinton exactly. a couple years ago. Yeah, fax all your right. dirty if she, laundry. If she had had a fax machine, uh, the whole, we yeah, might she, not be here right we now. We wouldn't have that 70 year old man trying to use his thumbs to send Twitter. <laughs> uh, just, what you don't think we should do? We make fun of old people trying to use technology. All right, so uh, we have to move on here. This is something that you, you guys really have to take over here because I, I am like the, one of the few people in the world essentially untouched by this inescapable <laughs> phenomenon. So, um, Rebecca, I'm going to have you kind of introduce it to us. Like, what sure. what, what is this thing, this, I don't, this listy thing? I don't know how this emerged. I truly didn't realize this was a, a global phenomenon or at least an American phenomenon um, until very recently. I thought it was just something circulating in my network because I have a lot of musicians in my network working at Bridge Street, so I just kind of assumed it was something that was making the musician rounds, and at first those were the people that were doing it. And then 24 hours went by. It was like the disease had spread. And then suddenly it's like my friend's mothers are doing it. And I was like, this is bad. So I guess the whole concept of it is you write on Facebook nine bands that you claim to have seen, one of which you haven't seen. And then the idea being that your friends, based on either how well they know their life or know music, can sleuth out which one is the lie. Right. So it's like a version of that two truths and a lie, but band related. So, well, and who has that kind of money to be going to all right? these concerts? <laughs> and some people are like, I've been to Bowie, I've been to Aretha Frey. I'm like, man, you have just okay, lived. Well, I, so I have not participated in this because this just has wasted my news feed of yes. Facebook. Like, this has just created a wasteland that I don't care plague. about. And also, like, I, I admitted earlier, the only two concerts I've ever been to are Bette Midler and David Bowie. Oh, see, that's that so cool. I've paid I to mean, see. Those are good ones. And so. they're, they're good, they're Game quality. Over. 
So, you know, I guess I could throw in Aretha Franklin. That would be my yeah. lie. Ooh, tripped you up. But you wouldn't well, even be is, able to tell among she those. She is your godmother, after all. <laughs> yes. I mean, you should go to her conscious. Well, Irene, I want to get into the psychology of this a little bit. And I know you've been sort of thinking about this. First of all, we know that we like lists. And, in fact, lists uh, play something of a role in, in uh, 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird or whatever the heck that thing is <laughs> we talked about at the beginning. Um, yeah. But there's also there's something about what the guessing part of it. I don't know. Give us the, give us the yeah. I mean, so I feel like why do people like to do? Why did this catch on? You know, if, if someone told you about this as a thing, you list ten concerts, one's a lie or nine, you would you would never expect that this would be something that would catch on. So I always like I'm always interested in that in terms of why did it catch on. So that makes me think. Why would people want to do that? Why would I even want to do that? Because when I first saw it, I thought, ooh, I could list, I could list my concerts. And <laughs> which one would be my lie? You know? And then I start to, but I think, because part of it is you want to, we want to be seen and understood by other people. You know, people post things on Facebook all the time and maybe think people don't pay attention to it. You know? So even if you had to post 10 concerts you went to, people would just skim over it and that would no big, be no big deal. But if one is a lie, then they have to pour over it and they have to think about you. So and think about how they think they know you. How they exactly. think they but this know is you, where how, I've seen what this you know, derail. What you like. I've actually seen in the comments, yeah. like somebody guessed, you know, like, oh, Prince, haha. And the person's like, I love Prince. <laughs> Prince is deeply connected to me and I saw him 10 times. You don't know anything about me right Sally. And I was like we need to calm down yeah. like this is this well person- it's driving everybody crazy I mean there's a lot there's also now there's all these people that are just posting about how much they hate the the trend and everything but I I don't know I think there's something you know don't we all want to be seen but maybe it's the wrong way for us to really be seen but we it's all, like a way to get people to look closely yeah. at you I think you're I think you're onto something that or seen or known you know yeah, it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about 13 ways of looking at a blackbird or whatever that thing's called <laughs> that that people don't we can't share ourselves very easily all the time and if we did people would think we were crazy you know if you just sat around talking about everything that you were thinking about all the time you'd be me actually Stream of but, consciousness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. but but we want to be known, right? To a certain degree, like we would like to be known and understood. I think yeah. that was the whole reason with Hannah's motive for killing herself was she didn't feel anyone knew or cared about her. So I think that you know, there's your probably yeah, so yeah. yeah. people want to feel like their lives matter to others, and more than that, that people know their lives. They know the intimate interiority. I mean, I don't know what concerts anyone's been to, so I, you feel bad, like I should maybe know this for some people I'm close to, but it's silly to assume that everyone has this level of interest in your life. Like, how narcissistic well, right. can we be? Well, that's the thing. I don't know if it's narcissistic. It's more maybe pathetic, you know? <laughs> I mean, just in the sense of this could be a way, you yeah. know, even sort of unconsciously, maybe this could be a way for someone really to think about me in my life. And I, I want to share it, you know, like I, I, you know, it's interesting to me what concerts I went to. So maybe it'd be interesting to you that I went to the concerts yeah. and that's going to make you like me. Well, you know? I think it's, this, it reminds me of, I remember like in high school, everyone would go to Dave Matthews band. Like they would come to town and they'd go to like the whole weekend of the Dave Matthews band concert. Just and to not to see Dave Matthews. No. <laughs> yeah. It's not what those no, concerts exactly. were for. But, and, <laughs> and you know what's interesting? I didn't see anybody, I, I saw maybe one person list Dave Matthews band on their like, list seriously? on Facebook yeah. and I was like, come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, Hartford, Hartford is also the only place that's had Dave Matthews band riots. Like it seems to me like Dave Matthews is this that kind of, like a real know, oxymoron. kind of adult content. But then people go and set cards right, on go fires. through these lists, like yeah. nobody is listing that as a concert. Yeah, but I just remember that, you know, this concert culture when I was like in high school and college of that you know everyone would brag about how they had gone to these shows and I it's just never something I I cared about unless I was like in 
the front row and you're like having the sweat of that rock legend drip onto you. Yes. It's not, you know, you may as well just see them on TV or hear them on the radio. To but me, it's that the kind was... of thing that it's like, even if you had that the sweat drip onto you, it's only, it's not really that interesting to other people who weren't there. No. You know, right. you can tell them, but it doesn't really mean very much to say, oh, I had a great time at the concert. Yeah, well, no one cares you. that Bowie yeah. winked at me I mean, with his hazel eye. We, like. we, we do have to <laughs> take a break here, but can I tell my one story like that? That I actually, I posted this on, on Facebook this week. Maybe that's why I didn't get to do the this whole other thing. So on the day, the night of the day that John Hinckley shot Ronald Reagan, I was sitting down backstage at the old Hartford Civic Center. And Ted Nugent persuaded me to drink out of the same ginger beer bottle that he had been drinking out of, which I did look at the bottle and think, where has his <laughs> mouth been today? Uh, but he did make me do this. Uh, so that's my story. All right. We have to take a break. We'll come back. I'm OK, though. I'm still I didn't get anything. Sets, fax machines, what else is really retro? Maybe I should look it up in the encyclopedia. Does anybody have the R volume? Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPants and me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish is on her fourth Heineken of the day. The part of Bill Curry was played by John Cusack. Don't forget to make pledges of support during the hour of our show. It really helps us. We'll be back on Monday with a scramble featuring lifestyles researcher Gail Shee and some plastic-eating worms. And now... Back to Colin. There's something called a wax worm, which may save us from plastic pollution. We're not sure yet, but it apparently does eat elite like plastic bags and stuff. Um, all right. So, but the worm has to give its life for this to happen. We'll tell you about this on Monday. It's time to re- make some recommendations. Uh, we'll start uh, with Carolyn Payne. What have you got for us? Uh, I am going to recommend uh, the Trash and Fashion Show, which is here in Hartford on uh, Sunday at Infinity Hall. Um, it was started by my good friend Amy Murley. It's really cool. It's kind of on the note of those plastic-eating worms. Yes. It's all about, uh, you know, thinking wisely about the environment when you approach fashion and art. And there's always some amazing pieces created from trash. Um, so, and there's like music and cocktails and funky fashion. So, go. It's really. It's this is really Sunday. Fun. It's Sunday evening. Yes. Do you, do you have a role this year? Or you are a judge. Uh, yeah. No. This year I'm just going because uh, I I've I've been on the West Coast for a couple of weeks uh, doing a show. So I'm just getting back into town. But I am definitely going to be there. So be there. Go say hi and it's really fun. It's totally unique. All right then, uh, Irene. What have you That's got great. for us? Um, well, I've been listening to this podcast called In the Thick. Politics, rape, rape, race, sorry, politics, race, and culture from a POC perspective, people of color. And so I've learned about all these different voices that I didn't know about, like this guy Terrell J. Starr, who's an African-American guy from Detroit who is an expert on Russia. And um, I looked him up and it said he's lately been Columbused by, you know, more (laughs) mainstream people, like people have discovered him. But he's I found him on this podcast and they have all kinds of interesting people of color talking about the news. Um, And also I went to Linda Sarsour last night, who was one of the organizers of the Women's March and was very inspired to activism there. And so I'm going 
going to go tomorrow to um, the march at the Capitol from one to three in support of Connecticut immigrants and also in in um, solidarity with the uh, climate march in Washington. So that's tomorrow from one to three at the Capitol. All right. Rebecca Castellani. Um, so I have a television show that just ended and a television show that just began. So I'll start with the one that ended. I'm very sad. And I don't think really a lot of people watch the show. You should. It's called Bates Motel. And the lead actor is will just blow your mind. It's on A&E, was where it was airing. Almost all the seasons are on Netflix. So if you're looking for your next binge, it, Vera Farmiga plays Norman Bates's mother. And she just steals every scene she's in. It's great acting. Really got a fun kind of twist on the original Psycho story. So if you're looking for you know another dark television show, that's a great one. And then another dark television show that just came out that I highly recommend. I binged the first three episodes um, in 24 hours. What is Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale has just come to Hulu. Again, acting is superb. They've made some really interesting choices that deviate a little bit from the book. So again, I'll and plug, please read it first and then watch the show. The show is great, but the book is really fantastic. The best bits of the show are when they quote directly from Margaret Atwood's original prose and it just puts the hairs in your arms stand up and it also feels very timely and tough to watch given you know our current political climate so highly recommend hulu uh handmaid's tale and base motel which is on netflix we recommend that too because next week the nose is going to talk about the handmaid's tale on hulu we're going to be in mystic connecticut at some kind of librarians uh festival or the connecticut library association that's what it's called it's not called some kind of librarians festival (laughs) um as it happens so anyway we'll be talking about that which means we'll have to figure out how to get hulu or how to get the trial thing of hulu or whatever so hulu's going to have a 30 days free so you 30 days free. We should be okay. And it is a great book. It's been a long time. So to that end, I'll throw in one more thing, which is that uh, on the Politico-based podcast Off Message, which used to be hosted by Glenn Thrush, who's gone on to great fame and now is impersonated by Bobby Monaghan on uh, Saturday Night Live. They have a new host. He's really good. But anyway, uh, this week's episode includes a conversation sitting in a hotel lobby in Washington, D.C., within view of the Capitol and the White House between the host, Margaret Atwood, and actress Elizabeth Moss, who is starring in The Handmaid's Tale. So, and it's a really good conversation. And Margaret Atwood is just terrific in uh, all the ways that you want her to be. I, I also am going to recommend a movie, a movie I'm sure I've recommended once before, if not twice before. But, you know, watching 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird or whatever it's called, I find myself thinking of the movie Brick. Brick is a movie starting the, starting the very young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It is about, it's very similar in tone. It is about the death of a girl, although not by her own hand in this case, uh, death of a high school girl, but it explores the whole thing from a noir detective set of tropes, an L.A. LA noir style uh, of looking at the whole thing. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is terrific. The people in the subsidiary roles, including an amazing performance by Lucas Haas, of all people, uh, are terrific. It's one of my favorite movies, actually. So please, uh, if you've never watched Brick, you can watch it. If you don't like it, you can blame me, all that kind of stuff. Okay, here comes some really nice people. Thank you, first of all, Carolyn Payne and Irene Papoulis and Rebecca Castellani. Here comes some nice people to ask you to support public radio. If you do it now, you kind of get a little bit more credit. So listen to what they have to say and then consider making a pledge if you like the kind of thing you've been hearing today. Working for public radio means I can't really afford to go see Springsteen or Coldplay or Nickelback. So my top three concerts that I've been to and one is a lie list is The Ice Cream Truck in Asylum Hill, Hartford, My Girlfriend Singing in the Shower, and Mozart at the Bojangles Coliseum in Charlotte, North Carolina.